0: To convincing the world that travel food film was not only possible but necessary to survive.
2: We are back in action, Triple Third Theater, Episode 54.
1: I'm Joe Daxberger. Was that the start of a new theme song? I'm Ryan Miller.
2: Um, we're a fan of tunes here. <laughs> I mean, I can't sing a tune to save my life, but you certainly can. I don't know. You had a little something going well, there. You know, doesn't ever stop me from trying, regardless <laughs> of how terrible it may sound.
1: <laughs> but then we get like lucky because we got like Megatrip. And uh, still loving that uh, theme song oh, it's the all best. these years later, which it still know. feels weird to say.
2: I agree completely, but it's a jam. It's a stolen cold jam. <laughs> so.
1: Truth. We're lucky. Megatrip is a solid dude.
2: Mm hmm. Friend of the show. We're lucky here. Triple threat. Milzy. Yeah. Like I said, episode somehow 54. <laughs> We've got The Blind Blade. Yes, we do. Coming with that, you got Tale of Zaduichi from 1962. Mm hmm. Blind Fury from 1989. Mm hmm. And The Book of Eli
1: from
2: 2010. Yes, sir. Millsie, what are we here at Triple Threat?
1: Uh, Crazy, okay. reliable oh. I don't know, it could be either All those, I was going to say, pro-trope Oh, <laughs> that's absolutely true
2: All those things plus pro-trope
1: We always joke about like uh, what we're going to put on the merch or the shirt or the mm-hmm. stickers And I think pro-trope has to be the A number one First thing we put on yeah, the back something. of
2: the T the, the pile of sticky notes I have, it, pro-trope's pretty close to the top <laughs> I'm guessing blind swordsman would count as a trope, no?
1: Uh, yeah, I I guess so. I mean, any kind of theme that is, you know, utilized on multiple occasions to different ends, I, I guess uh, you could call it a trope.
2: Offhand, the only other one I have is um, Donnie Yen from uh, Oh uh, Rogue One.
1: Rogue One. Well, I was thinking about it. Uh, we've actually done a movie with a blind swordsman before on Triple Threat. Scent of a woman? No, <laughs> he's he, close, but he's not a swordsman. <laughs> he doesn't have a he doesn't have a sword in his walking stick. <laughs> not that I remember. <laughs> oh, Okay, he I'm sure he had some kind of knife on him, being a military man. Yeah, but uh, no one of the uh, the characters in uh, Ninja Scroll is a blind swordsman. Oh, yes, pro
2: trope indeed.
1: It's a little surprising how many of these movies there are And how many we've, you know This is an episode themed around that idea But then there happens to be another one we've already done
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty cool
1: Yeah So, I had never seen any Zatoichi before Mm -hmm. I know that you have the enormous uh, Criterion Collection box set
2: Glorious
1: Is it all 26 movies? It's actually 25 Probably doesn't have the last one, I'm guessing. Correct. Which,
2: I mean, not that I'm like the highest level of box set connoisseur, but it's got to <laughs> be one of the best ones ever made because it's amazing. It's beautiful.
1: Well, the thing I think is cool about it, and they did the same thing with the Godzilla box set, is uh, they have like a, a unique piece of art for every movie, mm-hmm. which if I'm not mistaken are all by different artists.
2: I don't. I know Ron Wimberly did the cover. I actually don't even know offhand if, uh, who did the other ones or mm-hmm. if they are different um it's got such a cool look to it but anyway uh a it's amazing b ryan miller should definitely own it c um yeah it's amazing i said the same (laughs) thing twice there
1: got it a and c it's amazing and b i need to have it (laughs) right well as we record this there is a criterion sale coming up in about a month so anything could happen i've looked Hmm. at it a few times
2: (laughs) well I'm sure you'll give me a heads up when that sale comes around. So then I can be like, oh, remember you have to buy that. You said <laughs> on Triple Thread you definitely
1: would. In- interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I I'll uh I'll have to remember to remind you now. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> but yeah, never so. seen Zatuichi. Um wasn't super familiar with it. I think the first time I really, you know, gained knowledge of its existence is seeing your box set one fateful visit oh. to Boston. At some point in the past couple of years Nice Blind Fury I only had like a tangential awareness of But I did happen to buy During a sale on Blu-ray Yeah boy. Uh, Online not too long ago You know Having mm-hmm. never seen it Of course Blind buying it Wink wink Oh And uh, Book of Eli I saw opening night When it came out in theaters oh. And it was a packed fucking house I remember that I believe it
2: We can get into it During our Book of Eli discussion But I feel like that was a Popular time for that kind of movie
1: Yeah I just remember um, You know Normally I avoid humanity at all costs In most situations But It's true So I went to the movies by myself To see it like After work probably Opening night And um, You know Sat away from other people Because I usually get there early And then like As time wears on More and more and more and more people Cram into the theater And you know I'm a pretty large person Both uh, length and width And heart (laughs) Oh, But uh, man There was a dude sitting next to me That had to have been like a foot and a half taller than me Oh shit And just like you know Consumed space in his seat And he was wearing like this (laughs) big ass leather jacket That was just like Almost pressed up against my face That's like the thing I remember And he loved the movie (laughs) Oh I bet But uh... jamming yeah, that's that's a standout thing I remember from that screening. It's being very close to a man that was somehow bigger than me.
2: For me, uh, I guess similar but different overall. I mean, Zadoichi, I feel like I was just like kind of familiar with from like growing up. I mean, my brother was definitely like a big influence on me on like Kung Fu movies. And I can almost feel like I just like remember him maybe talking about it or something. I really don't like I've asked him about it in you know since and he's always said that like oh yeah my dream. or whatever cuz it's just the Is way that your brother's of... voice? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so um and i can remember just like you know over the years of the internet years of like the imagery popping up and seeing him so it's like a very like familiar with how he looked but like bought it's one of those things bought the the blu ray set and like took a while before i actually watched tale of zedewichi just cuz finally
1: and how many of the uh, the movies in the box that have you seen?
2: Oh well just one, Mills. <laughs> I mean, I've now watched one of them twice. <laughs> which is like the most Joe Dexberger thing ever, but
1: now, it is what it is. As I ask this question, know that it does not come from a judgmental place because you know. Oh, I know. oh. you know <laughs> you what know I mean, my if, collection is like. Yes. How long have you had it? In the event
2: <laughs> it was judgmental, I would have plenty of darts to throw away right back.
1: <laughs> oh, I was I was ready for
2: it. <laughs> I know but we never would. I mean, I've had it for years. I mean, it's been out for a while, mm-hmm. and I probably watched that one. I'm sure I told you when I watched it was probably in the last like year or three, anyway.
1: Yeah, I was pretty sure that you had seen this one before, but uh, so no. had had you seen all of them? Had you seen
2: the no? Other two? I was uh, kind of same. I was only like tangentially aware of Blind Fury. I think I just knew Rucker Howard is blind, mm-hmm. and he was a swordsman, but that's it. Like I couldn't tell you. Put money on it, I wouldn't have been able to give you a. Like anything firm beyond that, and then Book of eli well documented that I have a bad memory, so I don't remember when or where I saw it the first time but but you had seen it had seen it at least twice. I'm pretty sure this was my third time watching Book
1: of Eli. Mhm, so yeah, I'd say this was maybe third or fourth for me, but uh, mhm what do you think it is that draws filmmakers to stories about blind swordsmen like this? I mean, it kind of makes you think of like that,
2: I don't know if there's so many times in like storytelling with like someone's blind or impaired in one, in one way, but they're like, everything else is heightened, other senses or whatever. It's like Daredevil Daredevil. is a huge one, but you know, and maybe just kind of comes back to that or it's just, or, or if, you know, people just generally think that like someone who was blind really can't can't do much for themselves, which isn't true anyways, but especially, like, you're never going to expect, you know, a master swordsman to be also be blind. So mm-hmm. whenever that, that shows up, it's, like, extra amazing.
1: Yeah. It's just interesting that it is, like, something that seems that out of the box is, uh, as you were saying earlier, kind of a trope, and that it's been done. Mm-hmm. I mean, just Zatoichi alone has been done 26 times, and there was a TV <laughs> right. series yeah. as well. Yeah, But then, you know, I mean... Book of Eli, he does use knives a lot. You know, it's the post-apocalypse where mm-hmm. presumably there's not a lot of ammunition to go around. He's not exactly a swordsman, but, you know, same basic principle. Yeah, it's
2: pretty, yeah it's, I mean, the same, like, kind of that, that stoic loner who is blind. Yeah. He's got a really big knife. I mean, yeah, I mean, same idea, just like you said.
1: hmm Walk softly and carry a big knife. Hey, there you go. <laughs> That's this
2: episode in a nutshell.
1: <laughs> ah, that should have been the title. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, are you ready to dive in and of talk about course. our first course. film? Let's do it. All right. So from nineteen sixty two we have The Tale of Zatuichi. So Zatoichi was created by Japanese novelist Kan Shimazawa. He wrote a number of books about uh, Zatoichi, but I don't believe he wrote 26 of them. Mm. Uh, I I wish I had written down uh, exactly when he first created the character. But so 1962, directed by Kenji Misumi, who would go on to direct six total Zatoichi films, and then also directed four of the five lone wolf and cub movies
2: glorious which, uh,
1: yeah which criterion has also put it on a box set oh. i do own that one and have yet to watch any of them but... what a career
2: <laughs> have you seen shogun assassin
1: no which is also oh. in the box set uh oh I it haven't is seen that oh nice yeah, yeah. But that was uh that was a
2: just sidebar but that was a big one growing up that again my brother was into because i can remember him like losing his mind when it was they uh, used the clip from it in kill bill um, kill bill yeah, but yeah, I can remember that, and it's it's it shows up. They have a a bunch of lines in there from random Wu Tang songs over the years too. So
1: <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things, you know. Uh, I I have all these box sets, and I I just need to do marathons. Otherwise, like I'm never gonna watch all those Godzilla movies. I'm never gonna <laughs> right. watch the Bruce Lee box set. I'm never gonna uh-huh. watch Lone Wolf and Cub. Preach. My first time seeing this movie, um, mm-hmm. you know, I you know seen like the the cover of the box set. So I guess I kind of had an idea of what the dude looks like. Uh, who, um, What's his name? Shintaro Katsu as the character of Zatoichi. Mm-hmm. First thing off the bat, though, that I I thought was kind of interesting is like, normally you picture like the badass swordsman in a movie and, you know, whether or not they're Asian, they're like lean and athletic looking. Mm-hmm. And this guy, it's like, you know, before he was blinded by trade, he was a masseuse or a masseur. Right. And, you know, now it's like, I I think they mentioned that he's been blind for like three years. And I guess in that time, he's become this incredible swordsman, which is maybe the most unbelievable thing about the entire movie. But Mm -hmm. right off the bat, found something appealing about the fact that he doesn't look like every other badass samurai character in a movie Mm -hmm. in that, I mean, he's not super fit, (laughs) you know? No. I mean, he looks
2: like very unassuming.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, which probably adds to the whole, like, you know, he doesn't go around touting the fact that he's, like, an amazing swordsman or whatever. No, and, no. You know, like, right in the beginning, you see that he uses his blindness to, like, kind of pull the wool over people's eyes, no pun mm-hmm. intended. Um, Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. with that uh, gambling game where yeah. he, like, cons everybody out of their money. But, um, yeah, the, his physical appearance probably goes right along with it, like you're saying. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think uh, throughout it kind of fits really with his character, like, so much. He's, like, kind of, like, bumbling. He's
1: not really, like, a doofus or anything, but it's just, like, unassuming is the yeah, best way to put Yeah, he puts up like... that front of, like, he's no- nobody special.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, there's things throughout, like, especially when he, like, double crosses the other gamblers, like, he cons their con that they were pulling on him. Mm-hmm. And he does it, in, like, such a way, and, like, his delivery and everything, it's, like... He's just very like calm about it, and is you know he never uh, raises his voice or becomes stern or anything. He's just like
1: yeah, he's like almost jovial about it. Well, I think as part of his character, that's because he knows he can back himself up if he needs to. Right. So it's like no need to like you know fly off the handle and try to mm-hmm. scare people away with his like attitude when you know he's always yeah. got in the, his back pocket that he can slice and dice you yeah. if he has to. So, uh, yeah, like overall, like he the the character, like they use that
2: a few different times, there's even a time, you know when he like shows back up and that one guy is harassing that girl. I think yep. he's like, he's like it's, it's like her ex-boyfriend or something mm-hmm. and he's like on the verge of like really attacking her and like
1: yeah he's saying he's gonna like cut her face if she yeah, doesn't take him yeah. back so that like she won't want to go out in public nobody will want her
2: tell me if I'm right or not but they never really say one way or the another if like Zadouichi was coming back because of that or if he because he was just like he left something back to, behind
1: yeah which I kind of like They do not say it. I mean, after you've spent, because that's kind of late in the movie. After after all the time you've spent with him, I get the impression that he he knows. Like, Mm -hmm. also, you know, it's that thing of, like, you know, he can hear really well because he can't see or whatever. So they were, like, yelling and causing a commotion. Mm Mm-hmm. I at least I like to think that he came back on purpose, I and then do it's too. such a fucking power move to like he knows that there's somebody there, and as he's leaving, he stops and he like turns his head directly towards the guy, and he's like, "Is somebody there?" <laughs> and then it almost looks like he smiles as he turns yeah. to walk away, like, "Yeah, that's uh, right." <laughs> yeah, it's so good, and it feels like like that was be
2: that would feel like such like a modern thing, like you'd seen a modern script where this you know, movie came out in '62, like. Mm-hmm. I just, love that particular bit both times, like, really stood out to me as, like, I love it so much that they're so subtle about what he's doing there, but you really do think, like, oh, no, he came back on purpose, Mm-hmm. and he'll fuck that guy up, but he doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to just then.
1: Yeah. There's an interesting thing for me, like, I haven't watched a ton of these, like, kind of, like, ninja samurai period piece Japanese films, you know, I'm mm-hmm. slowly making my way through, I've watched you know, a number of Kurosawa movies and some other things here and there. But there's always, you know, like I like the idea of ninjas and samurais and things, but it's like there's still this hurdle that I'm trying to get over of realizing that like just because they're like older movies or black and white movies from Japan, it's not going to necessarily just be like some stuffy period drama or whatever. True. And I think part of that that I have to get over is like, yes, this is like an older movie, and you know in black and white and it's also a period piece but it's like this movie wasn't made like in the period that it's about like it's from the 1960s and it's a movie about like the old days that was filmed then which was have been modern at the time so there there's like a sensibility that I'm noticing every time I watch one of these movies that kind of like you're talking about like it almost it it. there's elements that feel like it would be something you'd see in a movie nowadays mm-hmm. and I think that Part of my realization of why that is Is because at, You know, it's the 60s was a long time ago now But it was a long time past The events in the movie So it's right. not, you know There was like stylization of the time Of the 60s in these movies Even though they are like period pieces From like hundreds of years prior And
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know There's cool little elements like that That you see in these movies That, uh, you know, I feel like I'm coming around on And I'm noticing the more I see them
2: That actually makes a lot of sense too Because I feel like even me, like sometimes I'll sit down, like, yes, I need a I need a podcast to get me to sit down and watch what movie from the box set I've purchased, you know, but <laughs> like it's almost the same thing, like, especially older movies is such a it's such like a I don't know, like a dead zone for me of like I never grew up watching older movies. Like ever. Mm-hmm. You know, this was definitely something I got into as I was older. Yeah. So it's like there's endless – the endless top movies of all time that are from, like, the 60s, 70s. Most of them I've never seen, so. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of why – you know, I'm completely open to older movies. It's not necessarily the thing I'm going to immediately go to when I'm like, what am I in the mood for? But that's why I have a – a tendency to on my DVR I'll go on like Turner Classic Movies and I'll just like scroll along until I see like an actor I like or like a name of a movie that I recognize is like oh this is one people talk about and I'll record it and then so like if I don't know what to watch if I'm not in the mood for anything particular I'll just go on my DVR go all the way back to like the the first movie on the list that I recorded and mm-hmm. just watch it So, like, it won't even necessarily be something I'm in the mood for. Maybe I just recorded it because it has, like, Humphrey Bogart in it. And it's, like, you know, a way to kind of, quote-unquote, force myself to watch those things. And sometimes it ends up being a pleasant experience. Sometimes it's, you know, forgettable or whatever. But that's something I like to do from time to time. I don't do it as much as I maybe would like to, but or or as as the space on your dvr dictates that true trying. yeah <laughs> but that's the problem if i want to add more stuff i gotta get rid of the old stuff and you you know me like my collector mentality i'm yeah. like oh i don't want to delete that if i haven't watched it yet all right all right that's but you conundrum. know it's a similar case of what you're talking about of like oh if i have an excuse like the podcast or something to uh mm-hmm. to watch something that then that only helps but uh yeah, like, even watching this movie was, like I said, I've been, like, going back and forth over, like, getting the Zatoichi box set because it's kind of imposing, like, 25 movies, like, of a genre that, it, you know, I'm interested in, but it's not even, like, my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. And so, like, watching this movie, I enjoyed this movie quite a lot. Like, mm-hmm. maybe even more than I was expecting to. Oh, and. Nice like i you know doing a little reading about it and finding out that the same actor play who i liked in the role plays mm-hmm. the character in all of the movies <laughs> right like up until eight, 1989 i believe yeah so nearly 30 years he he did like 25 of them and then there was like a tv series and he did all 100 episodes of the tv series <laughs> and then he came back in the 80s and uh starred in and directed one final Zatuichi film yeah. which i'm guessing is the one not in the box set. it's got to be which is kind of a track
2: now that i like realize that yeah but could we do a quick sidebar real quick another oh, sidebar
1: by all means um because we're talking about box sets how do you feel about the godzilla box set being that book shape i hate the size of it because it doesn't fit on the shelf if they wanted to make it like a hardcover book fine but but it's like a giant book. Yeah, it's book. enormous. It's okay. like three times as tall as a normal Blu-ray, so it has to have its own special place on a shelf, which I do find annoying. Okay, like I thought when so. I was younger, I thought stuff like, do you remember the the uh, version of Evil Dead that came out on like special edition DVD where the box was like the Necronomicon and yes. it was made out of like puffy foam like i used to think stuff like that was awesome Mm -hmm. as i get older i hate it (laughs) because it's not uniform and it doesn't fit with everything else and yeah in this day where i have over 1500 blu-rays it's like space is a necessity Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. and uh i don't need like you know my my blu-ray copy of aliens of the first four alien movies is uh like in the base of a like a statue that lights up of like an alien egg. <laughs> and it's like uh, I I like it was a limited edition thing like, and like I thought it was that? awesome when I got it. Yeah, I have it. And, and it now I'm like, that... oh I I kinda want to just like sell it and buy like a twenty dollar copy of the regular Blu ray four pack.
2: Yeah, I have that that Blu ray four pack. It's nice. Yeah, yeah man, you, you're sure it slides right this. in on the shelf
1: very nice. It does. It's
2: glorious. But uh <laughs> but yeah I'm with you on that book That big Godzilla book is awesome because the artwork in it is great Yeah and it's like it's very big
1: like... like being able to see the artwork nice and big but... Yeah but I
2: feel like there would have been a Some better way
1: Yeah who
2: knows I mean,
1: Alas, right. Alas. For <laughs> Second sidebar But yeah um, so watching this movie uh, For the show like this Gave me an opportunity to be like well let's just Like dip my toe in and see if I really do want to consider getting the Zatouichi box set and uh, honestly, if they're all going to be like this one, yeah, I, I kind of want to yeah, get it. Oh, that's the spirit. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> I really like the fact that, uh, I mean, it could have gone either way because, you know, you think it's a movie about a swordsman. Like it's going to have lots of cool action scenes or something. Not mm-hmm. the case. Very little actual sword play. One of the cool things about the movie, and I'd be curious to know if it continues this way as they go on, or if like a lot of franchises and things. Um, it gets more exploitation y and like amps up the action stuff as it goes on. Mm-hmm. But like, I like the fact that in this one, it's so small scale story and character driven. And it's like, you know, when Zatoichi first shows up at the uh, like the Yakuza house that he stays at, the like leader of this gang of Yakuza. Uh, had met him before and he's the one who knows that he's like really good with a sword and all of the other guys who like work for him don't kind of buy it and uh, it's like right along with those characters you as an audience member is like well yeah I'm being told that he's great with a sword but like right. I don't know and you're like you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and even the couple of instances where there's sword play it's not like long drawn out like swashbuckling fights mm-hmm. It's like you know when you're really skilled with a sword, like the the you know right. Japanese samurai and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, a fight lasts like eight seconds or yeah. less, <laughs> if if that. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I mean, I mean, just you get to the end, and he's killed the other samurai, and the other samurai is in his like death throes, and he goes magnificent.
1: Cause like, Cause like how, how like cleanly and efficiently Zaduichi killed him. It's like, yeah, it's the best. Well, even God, I loved the two of those characters together. So it's Zaduichi who's the blind swordsman and it's, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Hirate is yes. the, uh, so basically the, the plot of the film, which I guess we should say is yeah, there's these two like warring gangs of Yakuza. And, uh, for whatever reason, there's, like, a war brewing. I don't remember if there was a specific reason for it. But, I like um, they just
2: hate each other, just because. Yeah,
1: so, like, one side has hired a samurai who is the uh, the Hirate character, and, like, the other side is, like, in fear of him, like, oh, if we go to war, you know, each of us can take maybe one or two enemies, but he could probably kill 30 of us, like, by himself. And so Zatuichi just seemingly shows up and then he's kind of greeted by the other side. The leader again had met him before and he's like pampering him and giving him whatever he wants in hopes that Zatoichi will be like their ace in the hole on their side. Right. And then uh, when Zatuichi and Hirate meet one another, it's like they are just like kind of hired help. They have no real dog in the fight. Like they'll fight for the money or whatever. But, like, they become friends because they're not at odds with one another, aside from the fact that they're gonna be paid to be at odds-, mm-hmm. and it's like nobody else understands the lives that they live except for each other, and like they're going to have to fight one another, but they're like very friendly and i I love that aspect <laughs> it's of the so
2: movie, good. yeah, it's uh, like
1: the the respect
2: for your killer, it's like,
1: yeah, oh, I love it, it's so good, and then, like hirate he they keep saying that he suffers from consumption and he's been yeah, he drinking just, he's, a lot. He's, like I'm sick. He just like, keep
2: going on about being sickly or whatever, but
1: yeah, he's like sick. And one or two people tell him he shouldn't drink so much because he's going to get worse. So I don't know if it's like alcoholism that's actually killing him or if he has some kind of disease or something. But um, like towards the end of the movie, when the war is like about to happen, he gets really sick and is like coughing up blood and uh, so that's when the enemy side decides to strike because they're like, oh, their samurai is down for the count. Now we take them. And meanwhile, when uh, even though he's supposed to go fight and kill him, when Zatuichi hears about the fact that he's sick, he's like sad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh. Yeah, I love that interplay. That was really good. So, yeah, yeah like uh, again, a movie that you'd kind of go in expecting, oh, this is going to be like a cool movie with action and stuff. There's a little bit of that, but yeah. For the most part, it's like the characters that I really dug. Yeah, like all the like how
2: he comes in and like changes this village mm-hmm. as they're waiting for like rival the rival yakuza to show up with their own samurai. It's just, like, you said, it's so good. Yeah. And it's not like because when you think I don't know, for me, even like growing up and even now when you think about like that certain era of samurai movies where it's like the the crazy blood effects and all that, mm, like yep. this isn't that. No. This could have been just coming before, or it could have maybe it becomes part of it over the years, like you said. There is some like sword play, but there's no like blood to to speak of.
1: No, most of the fighting it's like, you know, you'll see a guy swing his sword and like place it on someone else's back and then just like mm-hmm. rake it across right. their back. There's no right. like tearing of shirt or like close up of blood or anything. They just kind of go stiff and fall to the ground <laughs> in like a very old timey yeah. movie fashion, but you know, it it does it's the actually trick.
2: like perfect too because like you said when you see Zetsuuchi like pull his sword mm-hmm. and like he just is, like, so masterful and fluid with it. And then he's done, like, immediately. He just has, like, certain stance. It's even, like, the way he holds the sword is different. Mm-hmm. So it just, like, immediately jumps out to you of, like, adds to his skill level. Yeah. it's so when you see him do stuff like that, I just love it.
1: Well, I love that the, like, one or two other times you see him use his sword earlier in the movie, like, when he cuts the candle or uh when he fights those two guys who chase him down in the woods you know it's over in a second it's like he pulls the sword he swings it and then he puts it back in it's like a sheath or whatever mm-hmm. but then in the final fight where it's him up against the samurai you know that's that fight lasts a little longer but again it's not continuous sword play it's like they'll each do like a quick strike and then they'll stop and they'll yeah. like gauge each other and then they'll right. go in for another one and i love that uh like i think the first time that they strike at one another they do that classic almost like anime thing where it's like They run towards each other, attack, and then they end up on opposite sides of the bridge from where they were before. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, Zatoichi's blind. He can't see his enemy. So I think he knows that he hit him, Mm
2: -hmm. and he's,
1: like, about to put his sword away, like, really quickly, and then he kind of stops, and he listens. Yeah. And then there's, like, a long moment, and I think you then see Hirate, like, move his arm, and then Zatoichi, like, pulls the sword back out of, like, the... It's like he he's like, in his head, he's probably like, I got him. Wait a minute. Maybe I didn't get him. <laughs> mm-hmm. So good.
2: Cool moments like that. Yeah, that little bridge they're fighting on, too. Mm-hmm. It's just like such a cool setting. There's one, there's like that long shot before they start fighting where it's just showing you the, them on the bridge. Yeah, forever. <laughs> oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. So good.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed this I'm, movie.
2: <laughs> yeah. how to and man. It rocks. It's a good time.
1: I liked the lead actor. Um Mm-hmm. I, I I liked all the characters like all the side characters like Tate the one that <laughs> he's one of the ones that Zatoichi screws out of his money at the beginning and <laughs> yeah. he and another guy are gonna chase Zatoichi out of town and try and kill him because they don't know that he's like this master swordsman yet but as they're about to go do it uh their Yakuza boss comes back and uh then he like makes t- without knowing what had happened between Zatoichi and Tate beforehand he just chooses Tate to be like uh Zatoichi's like personal servant, so he's got to like massage him and like clean his feet and bring him food and stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was good.
2: That's oh, so good.
1: Yeah, uh, big fan of this one. A pleasant surprise. Yeah, it's a good time.
2: I mean, it's, hopefully uh, the box set continues that quality.
1: Yeah, that's the thing I'd be really curious about because, I mean... We're talking early 60s. I think the second Zatoichi movie also came out in 1962. Like, they just cranked these things Mm. out back in the day. Mm. But you figure 25 movies, even if they're doing two a year, like, they're well into the 70s by the time, like, that initial 25 ends. And I would be curious to see, like, at what point do they maybe, like, do they start making them in color at some point? And do they get more violent as, like, the times change? And, like, you know by the 70s at least in america we were getting a lot of like more crazy Mm -hmm. exploitation kind of stuff or does it stay as like thoughtful as the first one i almost imagine it can't but i don't know i
2: don't know i know like um there's one of them one of them is like zadoichi and the one-armed man or something who's like (laughs) a different samurai character from a different series of movies oh yeah so it's almost like a crossover thing and then um there's also that actor that does a lot of the Akira Kurosawa movies Mufuni.
1: Like yeah, one of his ca-
2: one of his characters like crosses paths with Zaduichi too hmm. in a
1: different movie. Interesting. So not that, that plays into the
2: exact thing we're saying, but
1: No, but it's just funny again to think like like in my mind, and I don't know if it's just me, but like I think about these like old period black and white samurai movies, and it feels like like this is a thing where it's like very meant to be taken seriously and it's like a form of art but then it's like oh they're doing the old-timey version of like alien versus predator <laughs> you know <laughs>
2: yeah i mean pretty much you could see the the connective tissue there <laughs>
1: yeah uh, so
2: yeah big fan I may mean, i'm sure maybe some someday soonish we'll both do some uh, reporting on Digging in further into the Zatuichi box
1: set. You convinced me to do Nin January this year. I guess anything could happen. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh
2: Zatouichi. I'll think, I'll think of something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's a foregone conclusion you're getting the box set now. I could just feel it in my bones. So,
1: uh, I guess if I'm running out of other uh, Criterion movies to buy, instead of buying five different ones this time, I can just buy the <laughs> one 25-film box set. <laughs> there you go. I mean, if you, yeah, if you work out the math, it's got to be a deal. I just love that, like, by the time this episode is released, that sale will probably have happened, and <laughs> almost mm-hmm. likely already have it. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right, ready for movie number two? Indeed. All right, from 1989, we have Blind Fury. Too
0: much, too much. Keep going straight. Just stay right there. You are going to left lane, look out! <laughs>
1: Him, you blind! Yeah, what's your excuse? Holy shit. <laughs> your boy, Rory Batty. <laughs> Rudger Hauer back again. I think this is our third Rudger Hauer appearance on Triple Threat. Wait, give me a second.
2: Of course I know the, the one of them.
1: Um, I got nothing. What's the other one? Flesh and Blood. Oh, of course. Yeah. So Flesh and Blood, Blade Runner, and now uh, Blind Fury. Mm, All right, all right. So yeah, again, didn't know a ton about this one going in. The poster or like the box art for this movie makes it look like, you know, I would think Rudger Hauer, he's playing a swordsman, again, like 80s movie. I was thinking like, oh, this is going to be like a violent, badass action movie. But then the poster makes it look like a lighthearted comedy. Right. (laughs) And it's kind of a cross between the two.
2: i didn't see the post until after i watched the movie mm-hmm. and i'll i'll come out and say
1: i did not expect it to be as goofy as it is yeah it's uh it's violent because there's like blood and people getting their hands cut off and stuff like that mm-hmm. but at the same time it's it's kind of like um over the top but with a blind swordsman <laughs> instead of a truck driving arm wrestler like yes it's you yeah. know they're not related it's not father son but you know he starts mm-hmm. calling him uncle nick and it's like the right. two of them on a like a road trip to yeah like a- rescue the or to find the father and mm-hmm. you know it's a guy and a kid that start out hitting
2: each other forced into a into a trip that neither of them want to take mm-hmm. only to uh become closer in the end
1: Yeah, that's really what it made me think of while I was watching it. And it it does fall into that, like, kind of corny, like, is this movie meant to be, like, a kid's film kind of zone? There's enough violence, like, actual physical violence in it that I'm inclined to say no. But, I mean, back in the day, you know, Jaws was a PG movie and, like, Gremlins was a PG movie. 1989 is a
2: weird-ass year for movies, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe? I mean, judging judging the um poster art it might as well be like three ninjas or beverly hills ninja or something
1: like (laughs) that's what you're expecting it's so goofy looking it's so goofy trying to find i didn't even think to look uh it it is rated r so it's not intended to be a kid's film but then Mm -hmm. just the amount of the kid and like it it's got a lot of kids movie content in it i'll just say that
2: yeah for sure
1: but uh yeah so essentially the story here is that um Uh, Rudger Hauer and Terry O'Quinn from Lost, among other things, Mm -hmm. uh, were in Vietnam together, and they were like best buds. And then uh, something happens, they get separated. Rudger Hauer is like blinded by an explosion or something and left for dead. And he basically is adopted (laughs) seemingly by this village of Vietnamese people who at first, like, make fun of him for being blind. And then they teach him to be like an amazing swordsman where he's like chopping fruit in midair and, and all this stuff. And then who knows how many years later he makes it back to the United States and wants to track down his old buddy, Terry O'Quinn's character to essentially say like, you know, I I forgive you, I guess for leaving me behind.
2: (laughs) I mean, that's pretty much it.
1: So he goes to Terry O'Quinn's home only to discover that he's kind of separated from his wife and his son And uh, little does he know until while he's there at their house, uh, they get attacked and the mother gets murdered, Terrio Quinn's wife gets murdered, that uh, he's like some kind of chemist. And they essentially want to force him to Walter White some blue drugs for them uh, (laughs) in Vegas. And uh, so they're like... This is one of your best synopses ever. (laughs) (laughs) They're trying to kidnap his son to use his leverage to force him to make drugs. I mean, the drugs are actually blue. Like, I thought that was a thing that uh, <laughs> that Breaking Bad made up.
2: Apparently not. They got it from Blind Fury.
1: Yeah, he's got a box of blue crystals. <laughs> <laughs> and then so Rudger Howard takes it upon himself to travel across the country with the kid to rescue and reunite him with his father.
2: Like I said, I wasn't expecting it to be nearly as goofy as it is. Not mm-hmm. that I had expectations, but that. I was surprised. Mm. It's like weird setting too. It's like it's like the Vietnam stuff is like quick, but then it's like you know, he's like going through Florida and then the Midwest and there he's fighting hillbillies in the corn stalks. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh the unkillable, like huge bad guy played by uh Randall Tex Cobb. He's a great great villain too. I mean he's
2: kind of a that guy actor, right?
1: hmm yeah, I mean, I remember him most from raising Arizona. Uh, oh, he's, shit. He's yeah. the biker guy yeah. <laughs> who I don't think has any lines. And then the other thing that I actually remember him visually the most from is Ace Ventura, pet detective. He's in the very opening scene when uh, Ace is like posing as the delivery man <laughs> to steal mm-hmm. the, do- the little dog from uh, like the big burly guy. That's him. Oh wow! The opening scene of *Ace Ventura* yeah, just yeah. from watching that movie seven hundred times when I was younger, like his face <laughs> yeah, is course. just burned oh, into my eyes.
2: Uh, yeah, he's definitely got that face. I mean, it's a pretty big
1: role for him, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like the you know he's not the main bad guy, but he's like the main tough that's like right. you know hunting and, them and doing all the dirty work the whole movie.
2: Which I say it's got the most screen time.
1: Yeah. So we've watched a couple movies with with blind characters in them before. Yeah, uh, we were very impressed, as I recall, with uh, Al Pacino's performance mm-hmm. in *Scent of a Woman*. How do you feel comparatively, uh, Rudger Howard did in this film?
2: I mean, I don't know, like the subtle nuance of acting at all, but I guess he was okay. But it's not nearly as good, I thought, as *Scent of a Woman*. But
1: yeah, I mean, it's a sim. It's 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 not similar. It's like completely different kinds of movies. And *Scent of a Woman* is trying mm-hmm. to be very realistic, and again, this is like about a guy who is an amazing swordsman and can take on anybody even though he's blind. Right. So they're a little different. But I thought that just the, like, you know, downright meat and potatoes, like, is he convincingly yeah. seeming blind? Like, when he's not fighting people? Like, yeah, I thought he was not bad.
2: Yeah, I mean, he did, like, the, you know, a lot of... They were sure to put in, like, him, like, holding on to people and the whole thing. Yeah. I I also, like, came off of Zadowichi immediately... Watched Blind Fury Mm. and he's so good in Zatoichi with that that it's like
1: well Zatoichi even his eyes are closed pretty much the whole movie until the very end he like opens his eyes when he's like yelling at the uh, the Yakuza boss Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and it's it's you know it you know what it reminded me of Um, did you ever read Preacher the comic yes yeah, at the end when you finally see Cassidy's eyes for the first oh, time. right. Yeah. That's kind of what it reminded me of because the whole movie, <laughs> his, his eyes are closed and then at the very uh-huh. end you see them. Yeah. But meanwhile, Rudger Hauer is just like big blues open all the time.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, but he does like, he, I would say he does a good job of like, not like the whole eye contact. I mean, I would imagine that's hard to do. Like that's hard oh, yeah. to act for sure.
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised, like, I know that, I don't remember the exact details, but Pacino, like, you know, practiced the stuff and, like, you know, worked with people to figure out how to do specific things, like Mm -hmm. pouring a drink when you can't see. Apparently, from what I was reading, Rudger Hauer, for a month, he spent time with, like, this blind dude, like, teaching him how to, like, you know, basically do things, like, move around freely and not be self-conscious of things when you can't see, because Mm -hmm. it's just, like, the way you have to live your life now, and... So, I, you know, I think it paid off to a degree, but uh, I was a little I think surprised. it was fine.
2: Yeah, I think it was fine. It was like serviceable job. Yeah, like, Yeah, for sure. It wasn't mm-hmm. like uh, glaringly bad. He wasn't like, uh, you know, kind of like looking all around or like not at anything, you know, like mm-hmm. some people who can't act like a blind person. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Reasonable action in the movie. I mean, again, it's more of like a fun adventure across like travel movie. Right across the united states than anything but there's little moments of mayhem
2: again i I didn't know what to expect with this movie the the main thing i had in my head was it was like 1989 i was like that could be like a good year for some wild action Mm -hmm. which i felt i found myself waiting for I mean, it does kind of pay off at the end because all of a sudden our boy Shokasugi shows up.
1: I'll tell you, I was so excited when in the opening credits it said, like, special uh-huh. appearance by Shokusugi, And yeah. I was like, what? Cause yeah, I was like,
2: goddamn.
1: I had, like, never seen a movie with him before last year. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, it, like I said, in January, you convinced me to do the beginning of this year. And yeah. I must have watched, like, seven movies with him in a month. <laughs> and, like, now I'm a fan of Shokusugi. Yeah
2: and he shows up like a total like 1989 like drug dealer samurai. Yeah. He's in like that the suit.
1: he's like the final
2: boss almost. Yeah. I wish it I, of course I wish it was longer, but
1: mm-hmm.
2: um I mean that part that part was good. There was a lot of like I don't know, you know I don't like I don't like a lot of hillbilly <laughs> in my movies, so there's a there's a lot <laughs> of unfortunate hillbilly action that I was just uh didn't love. But man, and when he shows up, of course, I had forgot that I saw his name in the credits. Mm -hmm. So as soon as he showed up, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah.
1: Yeah, I just wish that like, okay, so if uh, if Tex Cobb was going to be like the big, you know, brute that gets sent out to do the dirty work, I kind of wish that uh, Shokasugi had been the main bad guy's like personal bodyguard who was just like always standing there menacing every time he's in a scene and like his like uh vegas casino office and stuff like that right
2: just just to have
1: a little more of him
2: there was like the throwaway line doesn't he say something like oh get out of the way i paid good money to see this or something like that's (laughs) how
1: that's how they just suddenly have shokasugi show up yeah there is a line earlier in the movie when uh after like the second time they've been foiled by the blind guy with a sword he he says like uh you know get me Get me someone to fight him. I think he even says, like, get me Bruce Lee. And then the guy, like, the underling he's talking to says, like, Bruce Lee's dead. Well, and then he says, like, well, get me, like, the next best thing or something like that. Mm, oh, okay, yeah. And then, like, you, you know, that never pays off until the very end when Shokasugi finally shows up. But it was cool to see him in there. He he doesn't last long. but No, um, no. It was kind of, like... I was excited, but mm-hmm. it was like, oh, that was that was over fast and mm-hmm.
2: kind of underwhelming because they started getting into like the big theatrics. Mm-hmm. I mean, just him getting, getting the props to get in that movie. However much he got paid, I'm like, you go, Shokazuki, <laughs> you
1: go. Yeah, I think this is one of the last movies he did. Like In the early 80s, he had that boom with all the canon films, like Enter the Ninja, mm-hmm. and then he split with canon and did two movies like starring vehicles for another studio called uh one of them was Rage of Honor I can't remember the name of the other one off the top of my head I have them on, both on Blu-ray from Arrow Video and watched them earlier this year and then um it's kind of like the ninja craze started to die down and uh he was in like one or two other things then he was in this and then he directed a couple movies in the early 90s and then I think the next acting credit he has is he was in that movie Ninja Assassin that came out in two thousand nine. Oh yeah, um, which I saw years ago before I had any idea who he was, and like I remember not liking the movie, but now I kind of want to go back and watch it again just for. Him.
2: I um, saw it in the theater because I was like, you know, I've always liked ninja stuff, and I remember like not taking it. So yeah. it actually would be kind of nice to know if uh, it was any better.
1: Yeah, I, I'd I'd be willing to do a revisit. Well, let me write that down <laughs> <laughs> By all means We already talked about how We've done now three movies with Rudger Hauer uh, We mm-hmm. talked about how we've, we're now doing Our th- second, third, and fourth movies with Blind Swordsman uh, Another weird little thing <laughs> is that uh, This is the third movie we have reviewed On this show, on completely different Episodes, where blind people Drive vehicles
0: <laughs> oh.
1: So we got sent to a woman.
2: Mm-hmm. Of course. This. Mm-hmm. What's the
1: other one? Sneakers. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> at the end of the movie, the guy has to drive the van through yes. the parking lot. And oh, uh, Robert so Redford is like telling him where to go and what to do from the roof of the building. <laughs> God. Sneakers. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well sneaker did we was that our buy for both of us, sneakers? It better have been.
1: Uh it was up against um. The net and hackers, or was it hackers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The net and hackers. So it has to have been because I love sneakers. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh. Uh.
1: Something interesting I noticed right away. Um. When mm-hmm. I heard the characters' names, there uh, two of the other henchmen for the main bad guy are like these kind of doofus guys with like cowboy hats. Yes. Named Lyle and Tector and their brothers.
2: Are they the idiots that kill each other in the hallway?
1: Yes. Yes. Mm. And obviously, I immediately realized they were named after uh, Warren Oates and Ben Johnson's characters from the Wild Bunch, Lyle and oh. Tector. Like, you hear the name Tector, and it's like, well, you don't hear that all the time. And then, yeah. so when I looked him up on IMDb, just to, like, double check the names, uh, it turns out that they their last name, which I don't know if you ever hear in the movie, is Pike, which is also the name of uh, William Holden's character in the Wild Bunch. So
2: Oh, no oh, shit.
1: Yeah, Lyle, okay. Tector, Lyle and Tector Pike. <laughs> oh,
2: all right, all right.
1: Fun connection to Zatoichi, like, for real. Uh-huh. So this movie was the first producing credit for actor Tim Matheson, and he wanted to make a movie like this because he is a fan of the Zatoichi films. Nice. And um, so he, like, was friends with a guy who was a producer, and the way I heard the story was that... Uh, the producer was basically like, yeah, if you want to get into producing, just like find a project that you think is worthwhile and bring it to me and we'll see what we can do with it. And so uh Tim Matheson brought a copy of Zatuichi Challenged, which is like the 17th Zatuichi movie or something, <laughs> mm-hmm. and screened it for the guy and was like, I want to make this, but in the United States. Oh. And I didn't dig too deep, but I did quickly look at the premise of Zatuichi Challenged and it's something about like... Uh he made a promise to somebody to protect his family in case anything happened to him, and the guy dies and so it's like him trying to protect the wife and the kid from someone and the poster oh. for that one is like a little kid and Zatoichi is like has one arm around him and his sword in the other hand, so
2: okay
1: feels like a direct uh interesting homage or reference in this movie
2: let, let me ask you a question yep on a
1: scale of i don't know one to seven okay
2: how much do you dislike this child actor
1: seven being i like him the most and one being i like him the least sure he's probably like a four i didn't think he was bad all right interesting he wasn't great but uh, did did you have a strong opinion um he got less annoying at first i was like oh
2: he sucks but Mm -hmm. it wasn't as bad I did end up looking up later that he was like one of the kids from like Step by Step or whatever, because he did look familiar. He was also so, you
1: know. on Baywatch.
2: <laughs> yes, like I saw episodes. that too. He's got like the most like 1989 ha- uh, kid hair ever. It's like a, kind of a <laughs> wild mullet,
1: but yeah.
2: Yeah, I was kind of curious because at first it definitely started out, I was like, oof, this kid is going to be rough,
1: but it was fine. In addition to obviously Rudger Howard, or Terry O'Quinn. There the uh, the actress who plays the kid's mom. Yes. Did you recognize her immediately like I did?
2: <laughs> well, only in that I know I've seen her before, but I still to this day to right now can't place exactly what I know her from.
1: Something about her eyes, like yes, she's got these like weird smoky gray S- eyes that almost like- make her look like she's got that that shit that uh, Vin Diesel did to his eyes and pitch black so he could <laughs> the see in shrine? the shine. yeah her eyes shined that like i don't even know how to describe it it's just like nobody else i've ever seen has eyes like hers uh and i immediately was like i know where i've seen her before another triple threat connection she's in leviathan from our very first episode she's like the corporate bitch on the other end of (sighs) the like the tv screen when they're trapped down below and they want to get out and she's very calmly just like i'm sorry but there's nothing i can do and then uh uh, what's his name? Um, Robocop punches her in the face at the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's her. <laughs> Goddamn. damn! Uh, what is her name? Um, Riddick. Uh, Meg Foster. Huh. She also plays Evil Lynn in Masters of the Universe. Oh. But... Uh, well, I mean, we got to get her on the repeat offenders
2: list. <laughs> yeah, I recognized her immediately. Just... I did too, but it stopped at I know I know her for something. Mm-hmm. So good on you to
1: remember. <laughs> uh, another fun little weird. It, it's like it's strange that um, so those other other two characters were named Lyle and Tector based on uh, the Wild Bunch. Rudger Howard's name in the movie is Nick, and Terry O'Quinn's name is Frank. And I read that apparently the reason for that is they're named after Nick Fury and Frank Castle. <laughs> huh. Uh, I don't know if it has to do something with the fact that they were in Vietnam and, like, the Punisher was in Vietnam. Nick Fury Mm -hmm. was supposed to have been in World War II. But then, I mean, these days, with the whole weird sliding timeline of of comic books, because they always want the characters to stay the same age. Right. There have been uh, Nick Fury comics written by Garth Ennis that have him and Punisher meeting up in Vietnam. So I thought that was kind of interesting.
2: Yeah. That's cool. A lot of connections, A lot of weird uh, pop culture connections in this
1: one. Yeah. And uh, Siskel and Ebert gave this movie two thumbs up, so they were a big fan.
2: Well, if, like me, maybe they were a fan of the obnoxious amount of Uzis in this movie.
1: I mean, it was an 80s film. And I love it, of course. I mean, (laughs) you know I like that, Millsy. I think I wish that this movie either was rated, like, PG, or, yeah, probably PG and was, like, less violent and, like, more silly, or I wish that it was, like, much more extreme. Like, it it exists in this weird middle ground where it's, like, rated R, but it feels like with a couple of cuts Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have to be, but I almost wish that it was more crazy Mm -hmm. and had, like, more Shokasugi action and stuff in it.
2: Even, like, in the end, with, like, we were saying with Zaduichi, like... He almost is like playing a character of like the bumbling disabled man. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, he's like stone cold, badass killer. Yep. I don't know if Rucker Howard is playing that or that he is that, you know, the whole time. It's, yeah. it's kind of just kind of weird in that regard. Like, yes, he's like a badass and he's good with the sword and everything, but he doesn't have that kind of like, I don't even know. Kind of like swagger that Zadoichi does. Of mm-hmm.
1: you know, he's like he like
2: Zadoichi knows more than you
1: do about every, about everything. It's yeah, like... yeah. You you get a little moment in the beginning when Rudger Hauer first makes it back to the U.S. and he's like in that little diner, and there's the dudes trying to steal that woman's purse, and then mm-hmm. he acts mm-hmm. like he's just like a bumbling blind man, and he like takes all those dudes out. Like that's the only time it really feels like he's got the one up on everybody because after that he's just like fighting basically the same group of guys over and over again and then by the halfway point of the movie the main villain has gotten word that he's like this great swordsman and so he wants to get like a, you know, a sword play henchman and it's like the cat's out of the bag. So it's like he can't play the like, you know, kind of innocent, but nobody knows I'm going to kick your ass in five seconds kind of character. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Yes, yeah, so he doesn't, like, he doesn't, like, I don't know. I hate to say he doesn't sell it, but, again, just coming off of Zaduichi and going immediately into Blind Fury. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was expecting him to play it the same way, but he doesn't. So it's, yeah. I, I would guess say it's just interesting.
1: I think it's, it's the writing. I think that it's just, it's not as well written as Zaduichi, probably. Right, right. <laughs> I like the basic idea. I think the cast is pretty good. Um. I think Rudger Hauer is good in the movie. Like, you know, he ended up, Convincing me more than I thought he would That he is like a blind dude who can sword fight Because I mean it's fucking Rudger Hauer He's mm-hmm. like a Fucking giant of a man <laughs> You right. know He's right. you know a little older at this point in the movie And But uh yeah I don't know it wasn't bad It it was not my favorite It's, it's fun mm-hmm. You know it's got some fun to it but Yeah I just I think, think it wrong. could have been More fun yes. if it chose a side uh, 100% Yeah Shout out to Shokazugi for life, though. <laughs> of course. All right, uh, third and final film? Please. All right, from 2010, we have The Book of Eli.
0: Is that thing loaded? I don't think it's loaded. One way to find out. Look, I need that book. I mean, I want the book. And you, but if you make me choose... I'll kill you. I'll take the book. Why? Why do you want it? I grew up with it. I know its power. If you read it, then so do you. That's why they burned them all after the war. Just staying alive is an act of faith. Building this town is an even bigger act of faith, but they don't understand that. None of them and I'd have had the right words to help them, but the book does. I admit, I've had to do things, many, many things. I hate to build this, I confess that. But if we have that book, I wouldn't have to. I imagine. Imagine how, how how different, how righteous this little world could be if we had the right words for our faith. Well, people would truly understand why they're here and what they're doing, and they wouldn't need any other uglier motivations. It's not right to keep that book hidden away. It's meant to be shared with others. It's meant to be spread. Is that what you want? Well, all my heart and soul. I always believed that. I'd find a place where this book belonged, where it was needed. I haven't found it yet.
1: So, like I say, I saw this first night in the theater. I just remember the trailers looking cool, and it was like an action mm-hmm. movie, post-apocalyptic. You know, I'm not the biggest Denzel fan in the world, but I like the cut of his jib. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I remember. Seeing this movie, watching it the whole way through, and having my fucking mind blown when it's revealed at the end that he's blind. I didn't hear about it beforehand. I didn't realize it while I was watching the movie. They completely fucking tricked me. Mm -hmm. And I just remember having this euphoric moment. When when it's like it's revealed that the Bible that he's carrying the whole time is written in braille, and I was just like,
2: "Holy shit!" It is like
1: <laughs> legit. It is like legitimately like one of the great like modern reveals in a movie. Yeah, and the thing is, like, do you recall? Like, you you said you didn't remember if you saw it in the theater or what, but like, do you mm-hmm. remember if you knew the first time you saw it, like before you saw it, or like had you heard?
2: Oh oh, I had no idea he was okay. Blind. Oh no no, I was like.
1: I was right there with you. Yeah, and it's like, they definitely, you could play it two ways. It could have been, like, too obvious so that everybody, like, 10 minutes into the movie would have been like, oh, well, obviously he's blind. Or you play it the other way where it's like, he's almost got, like, superhuman daredevil kind of, like, Mm -hmm. ability to just, like, know his surroundings. And every now and then, they sprinkle things in. Like, he'll be searching through a room and he'll, like, bump his, like, leg into a table or... Like, it's at the end subtle. of the movie when they walk right past the sign that says, like, no trespassing because he's blind and she doesn't know how to read. So she doesn't know what it says. Like, <laughs> right, right. Little things like that. But I feel like, you know, it, it was worth it for the reveal. I still like the movie. This is, like, the fourth time I've watched it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't bother me that it's so unbelievable the amount of stuff that he does. But right. it's, like, it, it takes, like, half half of a quarter of a point away from the movie, watching it again and just being like, how is he doing this stuff?
2: It's interesting you say that. Cause like I said, I'm pretty sure this is like the third time I watched it. So I remember same experience, like just kind of like being blown away by that reveal at the end when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Liking it overall. I mean, I can remember, it felt like a big deal when it was coming out. I mean, Denzel's like always been hot in the streets in one way or another. I mean, this was like late, I mean, this was probably, I mean, this is like going on probably like 10 years after training day, and not necessarily like a renaissance, because he's been steady working, but this is when he was starting to get more into, you know, action, he was doing, um. what's that action movie? Equalizer. A couple of equalizer, I mean, there was a deja vu, like, oh, yeah, he's getting into like those those type of movies, so this was like part of that, so I can remember it being a big deal, mm-hmm. or feeling like a big deal, and... Yeah, I was, like, totally into it and blown away. And I remember watching it, I was, like, excited to watch it. It showed up on, like, HBO or something. Like, I didn't go out of my way, but when it was available to watch somewhere, I watched it, like, pretty eagerly.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it was fun to watch when you're, it's one of those movies, like, it's fun on the rewatch, because now you're, like, looking for the signs yeah. for things and, like.
1: There's a ton of little things you notice that are pretty yeah. neat, like, on a on a second watch. Like, the fact that you know everyone has to wear sunglasses when they're outside but there's a couple times where he looks directly at the sun and if mm-hmm. unless you're thinking about it you don't realize like oh that yep. would be very bad if he could see yeah like there's that
2: shootout in the street and like he never shoots at someone first it's yeah. always like uh a volley back at that person cuz mm-hmm. he knows where they are
1: and like at the beginning of the movie when he's uh, rummaging through that house and he opens up the doors and there's the dead body hanging there And Mm -hmm. he like reacts, but what he's reacting to is when he opens the door, it like falls off its hinges and makes like a loud noise. Not the the fact that there's a body hanging there. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. So there's like a lot of little clever stuff like that. or uh, When he he first makes it into the town, and uh, he's talking to Tom Waits, who's like the pawn shop guy, and Mm -hmm. he's like showing him all the stuff he has like for trade, and he pulls out the lighter and he lights it, but since he can't see, he doesn't know if it's lit, so he like runs his hand over it. Yeah. Uh-huh. so many little things like that that are cool and it obviously worked so that's awesome but it's like i almost roll my eyes a little bit at it on a rewatch now mm-hmm. that i know but at the same i mean it worked i cannot deny the fact that it it worked on me
2: i mean it works for me and then part of it especially like this time watching it it's like um when he's telling mila kunis that like whatever doesn't he like wake up one day and he's like he has to go out west and the whole mm-hmm. he's got like this mission and like i really think of it like not so much like firm supernatural but is he like is he some kind of like holy warrior that actually does have this mission from god or something yeah that, that translates into what he can do like have i thought about it for sure on this watch and i was like that that works for me mm-hmm. you know like whatever that that actually is
1: yeah, mm-hmm. I dig stuff like that Like, you know, I'm not a religious person myself I've been right, in same. a church maybe five times in my entire life And never for mm-hmm. like a sermon or whatever But, um, you know, there is a part of me that maybe because of that Because I don't, like, really believe That I like when movies and, like, comics and fiction stuff Uses religion, like, almost as a, you know, a like a like a plot device, like a mm-hmm. fantastical oh. element, something uh, I'm like
2: right with you,
1: yeah, something like this, or like the exorcist like i'm I'm not religious in any way, shape or form, like I don't believe in demons and stuff, but it's like the fact that there are so many people who do believe, and like that movie takes itself hundred percent seriously with mm-hmm. you know the religious aspects of it, like I find that movie fascinating, like whenever there's yep. a little element of that and stuff i I dig it, and this definitely is one of those.
2: I mean, I run the gamut. I'm, I'm similar. Like I went to private school growing up, but not religious anymore. When you know was or whatever, but same on the act- same wavelength with you. But it runs the gamut. Like even like crappy movies. I think of like like that movie Legion with like the fallen <laughs> angels. Like yeah. I love that Paul kind Bettany. of stuff. I love that kind of when they use like you said religion as a plot device in mm-hmm. those regards. I love that shit. Yeah. So that. Like I said, this rewatch, like the third time, like I knew that was the case the other times, but really, like clicked with me this time of being like, yeah, it's not even about him like being some trained fighter. He might have been whatever, but it was like this. It felt more like this is like a a holy mission, and I was like, that that makes more sense to me
1: now. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a way to put into words exactly what I was talking about, and it it's kind of like how you know you have the Lord of the Rings is like the classic like most well-known especially after the movies like version of fantasy and like every other thing that's fantasy that's come since has like basically riffed on it and you know everybody knows what elves are and dwarves are and stuff Mm -hmm. now because of that so like you can do your own fantasy story now and you don't have to explain that shit to people it's just like part of the public consciousness now you can do whatever you want with it it's it's kind of like that with religion that like i'm mm. a aw- I'm aware of enough of it, and like the the cultural zeitgeist of it that I can read a comic like Preacher that it's like it's it's almost as though that were a fantasy comic, but instead it's like a you know Christian comic where it's yeah. it's taking all those tropes and using it in its own weird fucked up ways and like doing mm-hmm. twists on things, mm-hmm. and I love seeing that kind of stuff done in a movie like this, yeah. like on a on a kind of minor scale, but yeah.
2: Like it's subtle the way they go about it, but mm-hmm. yeah. So
1: like, yeah, I don't know if they if, if if within the framework of this movie, he's actually like hearing the voice of God or something like that. It could go either way. And I don't, re- I don't need to know. Like I'm happy not yeah. knowing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, sometimes I want the firm answer, yes or no. And this, I don't. It's, yeah. They're subtle enough with it. And they show you like enough fantastical things. And I'm like, yeah, that works. Yeah, like I like. I mean, even him just being able to fucking recite the whole Bible for crying out loud—that's mm-hmm. got to be a superpower in itself. Just
1: it's such a cool idea, and I mean, they back it up as much as they can by saying he's been reading it every day for thirty years. So, like, it's mm-hmm. enough that like, you know, I can buy it for the sake of the, of the movie. Like, you know, it's that thing where he spends the entire movie trying to protect this thing, and then he loses it or lets it go, and it's like, well, all is lost. No, it ain't because we have right. this crazy fucking twist coming for yeah. you. So good. Uh, yeah. Alcatraz Press. Like, I'm going to have one Bible on my shelf.
2: I want that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Gary Oldman as like the crazy mm-hmm. villain who, even, you know, he's got a little bit of logic to him. Like he's going to save the world by becoming an evangelist, like a televangelist mm-hmm. almost. Right. Pretty much. It's a nice, this movie's got like a nice level of like
2: post apocalypticness to it as well. Mm-hmm. Like there's some semblance of society.
1: Yeah, it's not full on everybody's wearing, like, assless chaps and spraying right. silver paint in their mouths, but it's. Yeah,
2: it's not like the road where it's completely desolate and, like, you're just yeah. walking around waiting to die, kind of like. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Like, they're trying to get
2: it back together. So I like, I like that level. Mm-hmm. My people are still horrible, you know, in, like, roving tribes of, like disgusting beast men that are, are
1: cannibals yeah every person that you meet you have to check them to see if they have the shakes yeah. I was actually reading about that after watching the movie just to see what that was all about and I guess it's a real thing I forget the the term for it but if if a human consumes uh like the spinal column and brain of like other humans enough then it will like affect your like nerves or something and it' will like make you well like the first thing that happens is it makes your limbs shake Damn. how fucked up is that that's fucked up, real fucked up yeah because re-watching it this time i hadn't seen it in a couple years and they're like checking to make sure people aren't shaking and i'm like is it am i forgetting there's some form of like mutants or zombies in this but no it's mm-hmm. just like people are eating other people and fucking up their bodies
2: good old-fashioned cannibalism yeah you know, like
1: what, what's got to go on in your body that you
2: now have involuntary shakes
1: like what is that? Too much spinal to fluid. I don't know.
2: <laughs> I love I love when you know they uh, roll up on that old couple of cannibals. Oh, yeah. It is, i it made me laugh. I probably laugh every time. I definitely laughed out loud this time when Gary Oldman and his crew roll up. And someone says something, and the old lady's like, "I know what the fuck I'm going to do <laughs> with the gun." Oh, <laughs> really,
1: yeah, tired. those two are good. Yeah, that's a that's a fun little action sequence at that house. It is.
2: Yeah. I mean, I got RPGs, Millsy. Yeah. <laughs> Some of your favorite
1: machine guns. And like Ray Stevenson with the RPG. Yeah.
2: All your jams.
1: Yeah. I like him better in this than I do in uh, Punisher Warzone.
2: Is is it Roy St- Ray Stevenson's fault how bad that movie is?
1: It can't be. Side, sidebar number three. <laughs> okay. So I have not seen that movie since the theater. So I'll admit that Same. while I really disliked that movie, yes. Things have made me want to give it another look. Part of it just mm-hmm. being time. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the other things is the fact that fucking now that I've watched The Wire, McNulty is the villain in the movie, oh, and I had no I, idea who he was back when I saw it.
2: And I had I had seen The Wire at that point. Oh yeah, and then saw that, and it was still like, bad. An, it was like extra painful. <laughs> yeah, he's also in um, Three Hundred. Who I McNulty?
1: Yeah, really? Yeah, wow. <laughs> I mean, I hated. I well, I didn't hate. I didn't like Three Hundred either. I've only seen it once mm-hmm. in the theater. I, I might have mm-hmm. to give that another look now. <laughs>
2: Wait, Let me write down. Yeah, McNulty, McNulty Trio.
1: <laughs> There's some fucking like romantic comedy that he's in with like Julia Roberts that I saw oh. a bit of on TV yeah. not terribly long ago. I don't remember what it was, but this episode just
2: coming up with itself. Punisher
1: War Zone Three Hundred and some romantic comedy. <laughs> Uh, oh, I love it. <laughs> I
2: love this. I love this thing of ours. Um, I'll say, Ray Stevenson looks good as the Punisher. I liked his getup in that movie.
1: Yeah, he looks like the kind of Garth Ennis, like bigger, kind of older, yeah. slick back hair, like it's Italian got Punisher. Like a-
2: He's got, like, that kind of, like, bomb disposal collar get-up thing that I mm-hmm. thought was kind of cool.
1: But yeah, that movie's hot garbage. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember a ton about it, but I do remember Holy not street 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 rubbish, that movie. Yeah, it's it's the, the one movie I've seen in the theater with former guest of the show, uh, Doug Miller. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Him God and I that. and uh, one of uh, my, Jesse and my friends from uh, the Kubert School, Andre, went to see... Uh, Punisher Warzone together in the theater Like the day before Jesse got married When we were in Washington it. for his wedding
2: That's amazing
1: <laughs> Yeah Well done Anyway well done. Anyway Uh, But yeah, Gary Oldman Always always good as a bad guy mm-hmm. Dig him in this I'll tell you who I could take or leave Is Mila Kunis
2: You know, yeah I think she, she's fine In this, like there's a couple like low spots for this movie and it involves her.
1: Yeah. I'm just going to say it. Oh, please do. I don't think she's a very good actress. I mean, I haven't seen a ton of stuff with her. And like on that 70s show on like a sitcom where it's like we're just making jokes for right. like laugh track or whatever, like that's fine. And like she's the voice of Meg on Family Guy. Okay. I don't, I don't really care for that show, but whatever. But like the couple of things I've seen her, and this is one of the like bigger, like dramatic performances I've seen mm-hmm. her try to give. She just, it feels like she's never emoting. She always has it's like she's a robot that's like never quite got enough power to move its facial expressions.
2: Yeah, she got a bit of a monotone thing almost even.
1: Yeah, it's just like she's not um she's not committed or something. She's like, Okay, I'm in this movie about like Yeah the the future or whatever. Okay, I'm just gonna go do my thing or something like I, I just don't think she's that great or convincing of an actress and she's Definitely the weakest link in this movie to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think she's like fine, and she doesn't bring anything to it. And like I said, you know the part where, so after she like spends the night with Eli, because like she Gary Ullman thinks like he's she's he's like sold her sold her to him or whatever, and then like she immediately comes back and she's like she's like mom I have to show you something and they do like the like food prayer. prayer yeah it's so. Like her delivery is so awkward in that it's like a bad scene. It feels like they just had to get it out of the way to move the plot along. Mm-hmm. Like every time I've watched this movie, that part stands out to me. It's like so odd. Like that would just never happen. Yeah. Like, regardless of like, those circumstances, like that wouldn't be, you know, what you would do when you first come back after. If like she the was like a, a
1: six year old, then yes, you like mimic shit right. that you've seen. Sure. But like she's, you know, at least supposed to be a teenager, if not like early 20s, no, I would yeah, think. Yeah, the movie. for sure. Like, but then I, she just like
2: pulls, it's just so, it's like an awkward thing that I don't feel like anyone would just like suddenly pull on their blind mother out of nowhere just to, Yeah. it's only there to get the plot going. And it just, it mm. always just stands out to me as like weird. And her, her delivery of it is like just awkward. Yep. So yeah, I'm I with agree. you on that. I don't know if I've ever even seen her in another movie besides this. <sighs>
1: I know I have. I'm struggling to think of anything at the moment. Most of the stuff that I've seen her in is like comedies. Oh, she's in like a, yeah, uh,
2: what is that? Uh, Sarah Marshall? Saving Sarah Marshall? Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I've seen that, but yeah. So I'm with you. She's the weak link.
1: Fun fact, Kristen Stewart turned down the role because she was filming uh, or she was going to conflict with like one of the twilight movies she was making at the time. Oh, hmm. And the thing is like, I am not a big Kristen Stewart fan either. And I also feel like, you know, there's that term resting bitch face. I feel like her and uh, Mila Kunis have like resting. Somebody turned off my power pack face. Like we're... <laughs> she just like, okay. I don't think she's great at emoting and she just has like weird choices of like, Physical ticks and stuff mm-hmm. So I feel like she would have been a Not a better or worse choice For the movie It's just weird that those are the two Women they chose for this Where I think that uh, There's probably a lot of people Who could have brought more to the role But mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I'm with you I mean For me it doesn't It doesn't ruin it But Yeah there's those, I mean it's kind of just throughout It's kind of She's kind of bland and-
1: Like I said She's the weak link I still, you know It doesn't ruin it like you say But must be pointed out. Mm-hmm. Uh fun little bit parts for Tom Waits and Malcolm McDowell.
2: hmm Oh, Malcolm McDowell, Milsey showing up in this movie looking like Dr. Robotnik <laughs> from <Sonic the> <laughs> yeah. He's got some I'm pretty wrong. wild hair. <laughs> Tell, he's there's this one scene where like they're out they're like out on the lawn with like Eli's grave and he just shows them he's got the sunglasses on and the hair. And I'm like, God damn, looks just like Dr. Robotnik. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then I, of course I pulled up the picture of the and I was like, I'm right. <laughs> it was just like him.
1: A... They missed out. Should have been him instead of Jim Carrey. Oh shit. Although that Sonic the Hedgehog movie was like the first time Jim Carrey felt like Jim Carrey again in like fifteen years, but
2: Oh. Let me just that's, write that conversation for that another one. time. <laughs> I mean it's just one of those episodes, quick Sonic the Hedgehog sidebar. <laughs>
1: Uh, Here's something that I thought was kind of interesting, and it didn't even occur to me until you said something earlier in the show that uh one of the only other movies you've seen with a blind swordsman character is Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Uh this movie is written by a guy named Gary Witta, who co-wrote Rogue One. Oh no shit. Like I wrote that down as like a little factoid, like, oh, that's another movie I know that he's he's worked on, and then you made that comment earlier and I was like, Oh, he's like ripping himself off.
2: Oh, <laughs> Everybody, everything's borrowed from something, Mills <laughs>
1: Also the co-writer of After Earth With uh, M. Night Shyamalan which Oh, dip I didn't hate as much as everybody else But it's not a great movie
2: It's just forgettable I saw it I don't remember a damn thing about it
1: Yeah, I know they crash Yeah, and uh, Jaden Smith has some kind of crazy Sci-fi sword weapon That can like take any shape or something That's all I remember
2: Yeah, don't even remember that uh,
1: This Fair. film Fair enough. directed by the Hughes brothers Albert and Allen who also gave us Dead Presidents, which I believe you're a fan of, along with me. Oh, hell yeah. And uh, have you ever seen From Hell, the Johnny Depp, uh, Alan Moore Uh, adaptation? No, I never have. Yeah, they made that too, and I think that's a solid movie as well. Hmm. Uh, Also directed Menace to Society, which I've never seen.
2: That's a good one too.
1: And one of my favorite little factoids about this movie, are you a fan of or are you familiar with the comic artist Chris Weston?
2: Mm, No i'm not familiar
1: he's got like a very detailed style like very realistic detail like super detailed like think um uh jeff darrow but like less quirky and goofy okay and so i've been a fan of him for a long time i dig his stuff this movie was the first film he ever did like production design and storyboards on Mm -hmm. so i guess like the hughes brothers are fans of him and uh after this movie, like immediately after this movie, they were uh, supposed to start working on a live action adaptation of Akira. Oh. Which I always think is a bad idea, no matter who's attached to it. But I will say the one good thing that came from those guys working on Akira for a year after this is that Chris Weston drew some Akira storyboards that have found their way onto the internet. And they're fucking awesome. <laughs> I see those, Mills. Uh, after the show, uh, or, you know, if you're listening to it right now, uh, you can pull out your phone and go to Chris Weston's website. I, I don't know the address, but you know, just Google it. And, uh, he's got a whole section on his website where you can see some of his storyboards from Akira and a ton of his designs and stuff from, uh, uh, book of Eli. Ooh. And, uh, specifically like he's got the entire sequence at the house with the old people and like the, uh, RPG all storyboarded on his website. Oh, nice. It's pretty cool. I
2: could dig it. Yeah. I like those. I like the sound of that. I like these directors. I mean, they, this movie's got like a, a, nice like style, like kind of vibe to it that I, mm-hmm. some good music cues and just the score too is pretty good.
1: Yeah. I don't, it, It weirdly feels kind of classy to me. Like, it doesn't feel like it's being too exploitative at any given time. Like, they definitely could have been with their religious Mm -hmm. subject matter, for example. You know, it's violent, but not overly so. It's like a, you know, a kind of realistic post-apocalypse. Again, it's not like a crazy Mad Max future or something. And it feels like there's real stakes. And it feels like somebody really actually, like, sat down and thought out this version of the post-apocalypse. And, like... Yes, how it happened. And I love that, like, little backstory about, um you know, they they never give super, like, detailed examples of, like, what caused the war, but essentially saying, like, you know, everybody nuked one another the we blasted mm-hmm. a hole in the sky and the sun came through and scorched everything and killed everybody. And uh, people blamed basically the Bible for mm-hmm. the war happening, which. Honestly is I can believe that happening. Yeah. Yeah. I can see <laughs> and that. so they specifically like burned every copy of the Bible. And that's why it's such a hot commodity that um right. Gary Oldman's character who wants it can't get it and mm-hmm. you know the one guy who has it doesn't want to give it up. Denzel Washington's character. I just yeah. it's a really great premise. It's one of those it's premises it's like it's a well-thought-out
2: like, premise.
1: Yeah, it's brilliant in its simplicity and I just think to myself like man, I wish I'd thought of that. Mm-hmm.
2: Right there with you, man.
1: Yeah, it just works. Like, like I think even the way you said it, like, best describes is like
2: someone really like put in some extra thought here, mm-hmm. and it shows. I mean, I love uh there's a few like overhead shots where they're driving down the road and like just like off to the side of the
1: road there'll be a giant crater. Mm-hmm. You
2: know, like that little bits of world building I really
1: appreciate. Yeah, and just like you know the fact that there's very few. Older people, I think Denzel's supposed to be like 60 in this or something, Mm -hmm. and so like him and Gary Oldman are a couple of the only people who are still around from before the war happened, so they like remember how things were before, and that's how Gary Oldman knows about the Bible, and then there's like, they don't play on it a lot. I feel like they almost could have done it more and, like, turned it into a run-on joke, which I'm glad they didn't. But every now and then, Denzel, while he's palled around with Mila Kunis' character, will mention something that, like, everybody watching the movie, it's just you immediately understand what he's talking about. And then she doesn't because she wasn't around Mm -hmm. when the world was normal. Mm -hmm. But then there's also, like, that great moment later in the movie where they're uh, spending the night in that, like, giant smokestack. And mm-hmm. she's like, tell me about the world before, and just like the little simple phrases that he says, like, yeah. uh, um, like "We had everyone had everyone had or... more than they needed, and we threw yes. away things that people kill each other for." Now, ah, just yeah, so great good. phrasing. Just uh, yeah, really adds to the vibe of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then also something that I must have taken notice of this before and just forgotten about it, but it really hit me momentarily when she like sneaks into his bag and you see that uh, his name tag, did you catch what that was? No. Um. It's like his name tag that says his name Eli, and mm-hmm. uh, it's from Kmart. Like, before the uh, war, he worked at Kmart, and now he's so. like the savior of the planet. Right. It reminds me of, like, uh, Saving Private Ryan, where right at the end of the movie, they ask Tom Hanks, who's like this kind of badass leader, oh, like, right, what did right. you do back in the real world? And he's like, I'm a teacher. Yeah.
2: Like, they've been betting for years on what he was.
1: Yeah. And it's... Yeah, Is a school teacher. Mm-hmm. Cool no, little vibe point. like that. Like, yeah. yeah, just to imagine that you know the meek shall inherit the earth, and uh, he was just like you know blind mm-hmm. dude um, working at Walmart or, or at, uh, at Kmart, and uh, all of a sudden when the world ended, he like he found his purpose. Yeah, I don't know it's it's cool. Yeah, I love this movie's vibe. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, it's cool man. Yeah, I don't know if there's much more to say about it than that. I feel like we've covered a lot.
2: Want to mm-hmm. talk some posters?
1: Let's do it. Please. Looking at Zatuichi stuff online, like doing a little research for the show, like I said, I saw the poster for that that one that inspired Blind Fury. They all have kind of a similar style that I like. They're like surprisingly colorful, which I guess I wouldn't have expected, especially based on how like somber the first movie is. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is just... <laughs> Big shot of Zatoichi with a bunch of text I can't read, and then uh, like a goofy face of that, uh, what was her name, like Otane character at the mm-hmm. bottom. Right. That tried to run off with Zatoichi, and he wasn't having it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's it's appealing. It's just cool. I mean, it's cool. It's Zatoichi. It's cool.
1: Yeah, it's very yeah. much like a product of its time. Like, if if we wanted to, like, I am, I see something like this. I know it's an old poster. It's got that, like, Japanese vibe, which I'm kind of familiar with, and I'm immediately, like, Yes, this is like appealing to me. Mm-hmm. If we were to tackle it from the angle of like what we normally do with these posters, like what does it tell you about the movie? Yeah. Nothing. Like maybe if I could read the text, it would help a little bit. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean for all intents and purposes, how are you gonna know he's blind without being able to read something about it, I guess? Mm-hmm, Unless mm-hmm. I did like a close up of his eye and he had like cataracts or something. No, that's a good point. Like milky eye, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I like I give this a a pass just because it's like it is visually appealing the colors and the uh the yeah. kind of layout. Yeah. You know. Cool pose. We've seen some Asian posters where it's just it almost looks like a like a punk rock show like gig poster with just yes. like cut out images everywhere and it's not that so it's not super busy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm with you. You know, maybe maybe we didn't need the little goofy mm. head at the bottom which just makes me think of like uh, an I dream of genie. Yeah. Ad or something,
2: but <laughs> yeah, yeah, like someone was like, Oh, we have to put another head in there,
1: yeah, for the ladies. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe she was a name actress and they just wanted to get her face on the poster. I'm not familiar Neither.
2: with her, that too. <laughs> blind Fury, Milzy, blind... <laughs> Milzy, so... yeah, he, he may be blind, but he don't need no dog. <laughs> yeah.
1: I didn't write this down, but I did read an anecdote about uh, when the producer. Took it to the studio. He had two two taglines that he pitched them. One of them was this, but just the second half of it. He don't need no dog.
2: <laughs>
1: I can't remember what the other one was, but they were both really stupid. <laughs> I mean, he's
2: a he looks like Crocodile Dundee with yeah, a
1: sword. That is exactly what this poster makes you think of. Just the the fucking smile on his face, the goofiness of the whole thing. Uh. I mean, it you know, it's in a like nineteen eighties painted poster style that I like. For sure And I can't even say I like, dislike the image And I mean we talked about how the movie is kind of goofy But this looks like it's a poster for like uh, like a Leslie Nielsen
2: Oh well, I was just going to say like the airplane Naked gun Yeah a,
1: a Jim Carrey farce or something mm-hmm. Yeah It does have an Uzi on it though So that's got to earn some points I mean, from you Yeah I mean the sharpest
2: sword in the world Chopping that top of the Uzi off like that <laughs> But yeah
1: So yeah I'm torn because I don't know I, I like the style of it and the intent, but. Mm-hmm.
2: Actually, and I like for, we don't always get this with posters. Like, I like the Rutger, Howard, Red, the Blind, Fury, and White, and the rest in
1: the kind of blue. Like, that looks good to me. I mean, did they do that purposefully so that you're like, yeah, it's got a samurai sword, but it's an American film, baby. Red, white, and blue. I mean, maybe, <laughs> but at least it's just, like, all very clear at the bottom. Yeah. Like in that little bounding box down there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Milsy Book of Eli, Milzy. Yeah. The poster's not the strongest thing about this film. It's certainly
2: not. It doesn't, it doesn't give you a, But like I said, at the time, plenty of people probably just need to see Denzel with a gun.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, admittedly, that's kind of all it took to get me into the theater. <laughs> like, right. it probably could have been a cooler shot than just his head. Right. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's not like an amazing poster. Yeah.
2: Product of its time in the same way Blind Fury
1: is. Mm-hmm. Break it down for the people, Millsy. Give it to them. Uh, oh, this is kind of tough. Like I think that, like we said, Book of Eli is like fine for what it is, but it's not knocking me on my ass here. Mm-hmm. I think, I guess I would have to give it um, two ounces of water oh. from that uh, little... Little well that Mila mm-hmm. leads him to.
2: Okay. I like
1: it. Zatoichi, it. it it is what it is. Uh, like I said, it's kind of hard to judge because it's like another language and everything. It's appealing just because of the colors and everything. So I, I find it hard to like criticize this poster too much because, you know. Yeah. It's that old timey Japanese poster style, which again, it is what it is. Yeah. So. We all love, really, but. Yeah, this one's going to get uh, three of the finest bottles of sake delivered Ooh. to the temple for Hirate. I like it. And Blind Fury, like, again, love the style of it. Something about just how silly it is. I don't love the execution.
2: Yeah, it's the smile is what I think ruins it.
1: That, it really, yeah, it really hurts it, the facial expression. So... um, that one's, you know, it's also going to get a three, but in this case, it's going to be three little clay dinosaurs carved by oh, Billy or whatever the fuck the kid's shit. name was.
2: Billy. <laughs> oh, man, the dinosaur. Well done.
1: Yeah. Take a bow, Mills. <laughs> it's just funny that that dinosaur is like the through line of the whole movie. Yeah, seriously. He catches it again at the end. Right. It's like big and awkward and
2: shit. Like it's not some tiny little thing. Like Billy just yeah. pulls it out of his front pocket. Mm-hmm.
1: It's like fist sized. All right. Here we go. Who's up first?
2: I'll go. I'm ready to fire off some hot rounds.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: will spin some swords. I don't know. Anyways, probably no, no surprises here. Uh, it's it's not a launch into the sun, but I'm going to burn Blind Fury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I pro- we probably touched on it perfectly. It's just like tonally, it it doesn't go in either direction firmly like it should. So it's kind of just like wafting in the middle.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Then we get to the other two. tales at Book of Eli. Both I really like for a lot of reasons. I think ultimately maybe like knowing that there's more Zatoichi movies. Mhm. Almost like like loving this one, well, I could say I loved this but I thought it was great and like all the points we touched on, but I'm almost like wondering in that box set is like, what is the definitive zadoichi movie? Because I'm not sure if it's this one.
1: Yeah, like how my favorite uh, Friday the 13th movie is the sixth one. Like it could be the 18th <laughs> right. Zadowichi movie right. that's really going to do it for you. So it's not really like
2: a, a, a takes away from this movie. But, you know, I feel like in the back of my head, there's like things I could like want more of from a zadoichi movie after only seeing I've seen now one of them twice. So for that, make Zedoichi my borrow, and I'm gonna buy Book of Eli. I think that movie's great. It's got a couple things that take away from it, but for a 20 like those the yeah. couple of things 20, 2010, <laughs> you know movies that were out, like this kind of felt like me I wasn't expecting it to be as nearly as good as it is, and like I've you now watched it three times, like don't own it, but probably should because I really like it. I like Denzel mm-hmm. in it. It's great world building. Some great action. And you know, overall cool story. So
1: that's say that's an yeah. easy buy for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. I like the cut of your jib. Uh yeah, I'm right there with you on uh Blind Fury. Mm-hmm. I expected to like it more than I did just because it's like a 80s action movie with um Rugger Hauer. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I saw Shokusugi's name and I was like, this is gonna be the best thing ever. And then it's, you know, <laughs> right. like we said, it just kind of it's like the Daywalker. It's like playing in two worlds Ooh. and I wish it would have chosen one. Nice. So uh I I as well wouldn't launch it into the sun. I'll just leave it on my uh my movie shelf right where it, oh. it is. I thought you were gonna but, say uh, like leave it
2: on the dash of my car to melt or something. Oh no. <laughs> okay.
1: Deal. Not that not that vindictive about the movie. <laughs> uh so that's gonna be my burn, which mm-hmm. I, yeah, I uh, did not expect it to be as tough of a decision for the buy and the borrow spot. Mm. And I even, so the last one I watched was Zatoichi and, you know, coming after the other two, I was just like a big fan and like wowed by it. And like in the moment I was even thinking like, man, this is going to end up being my buy. Like I did not see that coming. Admittedly though, like even just a couple minutes ago, talking about the book of Eli and running through all of like the, the pros and the things we dig Mm -hmm. about the movie and like dissecting it a little bit makes me realize all over again, you know, a couple of days removed from watching it how much I really dig that movie. So like this is definitely a tougher decision than I expected. But um I think uh simple fact of the matter is as of right now, Book of Eli has uh withstood the test of time over the course of I think like four viewings for me. Mhm. And it does, you know, fall a little bit more into that realm of, like, my type of movie being, like, a more action-heavy movie and, like, the post-apocalyptic stuff and the weird, like, sci-fi and religious elements we talked about. And as of right now, like, I haven't seen a ton of Zatuichi style films, like, from that era. I definitely enjoyed this one a lot. But I'm almost like you, not necessarily just within the Zatuichi realm, but, like, I liked this a lot. But is this, like, one of the best? Right. Like old timey, like ninja samurai movies. I don't know, but uh yeah, I think just the the fact that I've watched it so many times and still continue to enjoy it so much, and like see new stuff in it every time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just edge it out and give it to uh,
0: mm, Book of Eli. Look for at the us,
1: buy. yeah. So, but Zatoichi, a strong borrow, yeah, and uh in for sure. reality, will probably be a buy in the very near right. future for me. I know. <laughs> so.
2: For me, it's like I even just said, like, t- went on and on about owning the box set. That's my borrow. Talked about maybe I'll buy this movie that it's
1: my buy. But, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Toichi is the only one of the three I don't own. Amazing. But, Amazing.
2: Uh, I love it. For now.
1: Yeah. Uh So I guess I'm just going to have to buy that box set and dig in, and then I can... uh Kind of like I do, uh, you know, you and I listen to a lot of the same kinds of podcasts, and I'll be like, oh, I just heard this great interview. You have to listen to this show. And then mm-hmm. you're like, on it. I'm going to have to do that. And like, oh, man, the fourth zatuichi is <laughs> yes. so good. You got to get there. Yes. <laughs> I like it. Deal. <laughs> Deal. So. Very good, Mel. Right, look at um... us,
2: matchy-matchy.
1: Yeah. All right. All right. I feel like we do that more and more as the years go on. But... Look at
2: that, Mel. It's just like. Uh, Sinking you know, up. Sinking up. <laughs>
1: So yeah, uh, announcement for the next episode of the show. Indeed. We have a new first-time guest joining us.
2: Who's coming into the Terra Dome now?
1: (laughs) My brother from another podcast, Jesse Munoz, co-host of the Sidetracked podcast with me, is going to be joining us. Cannot wait. Yeah, he has uh, agreed to watch any three movies we end up with, so. Poor Best. It's his funeral. Yeah, I mean, uh, you guys are podcast
2: pros. How many episodes you got for Sidetrack?
1: Uh we're over we're over six hundred, like Love significantly it. over six hundred at this point. Get it. Love it. Can't wait. Be
2: good times with Jesse.
1: Yeah, so uh, let's find out what he's gonna have to watch. But, what do you say? Yes,
2: let's. Milsey, how many possible episodes do we have?
1: Two hundred and thirty five at the current count. Sweet Christ.
2: Here we go. Milsey. <laughs> <Bill C, sighs> yeah. One hundred thirty three.
1: 133 next episode we're going to be talking hmm, the pen is mightier than the camera ah all right i don't think jesse will hate this too much okay that's good (laughs) yeah this is uh one of our mm, slightly more obtuse uh categories yeah it's not like blind swordsman movies where you know we talked about how there's more than we would have expected but there's only so many mm-hmm. there's probably a lot of instances that we could have uh like of movies we could have chosen for this but uh mm-hmm. i think this is an interesting mix i could dig it yeah no that'll be so, a good one yeah next time the mm-hmm. pen is mightier than the camera well
2: Milsey, we'll see them soon but for now Triple Threat theater i'm joe daxberger